Church family, uh, first of all, I missed you last week. I heard that uh, our youth pastor, Chris, knocked it out of the park last week. Was that so? Preached on the wilderness. I was with Dave and Beth uh, at Christ Chapel Galax, and y'all, they're doing so well. Their new building is built already too small. All the auxiliaries are too small in three services, and uh, they wanted me to give you uh, their love. They gave me barbecue sauce. You get the love. So they gave, I took it home with me. So um, I will be gone next week uh, for something that's quite an honor to me. It humbles me to even say it. Uh, uh, Billy Smith, who was my youth pastor for a short while, pioneered Christ Chapel Zebulon 20 years ago next Sunday. And uh, this uneducated preacher gets to preach that service. So uh, I'll be away from you, but humbled to be there. Pray with me that I'll have God's direction and voice for that day, uh, that, that it'll be all that God has planned. Would you stand with me and open your Bibles this morning to 1 John chapter 1? First John 1, beginning with verse 5. If you're there, say amen. This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in God there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with God and walk in darkness, we lie, and we do not know the truth. But if we walk in the light of his countenance, his word, his presence, his will, we have fellowship one with another, with God and with the people in the body of Christ. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, which means that we have never sinned, or if we are practicing sin and we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us. This modern day church, if they acknowledge sin at all, they talk about the forgiveness, but they don't talk about the cleansing. It's one thing to confess my sins. It's another thing for him to scrub away through my repentance, the residue of all that was there before. If we say that we have not sinned or that we don't ever sin, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Before you're seated, I want to talk to you just a quick moment. We are in a culture today of relativism and wokeism that there are no absolutes, which of course, that's an absolute statement, so that makes that theology ignorant and arrogant at best. But there are no absolutes, there are no laws, because if you can break the compass there, then everyone goes about doing their own search, their own truth, their own pathway. If there is no law, then there is no sin. And if there is no sin, then there's no conviction of that sin. And if there's no convict or there's no awareness of it, then there's no conviction. If there's no conviction, there's no repentance. And if there's no repentance, there's, that's, there's judgment and only judgment left. 
And that's what the devil is after. We're in an age where Christian celebrities are common. And we are known by our giftings, not by our heart. We're known by what we can do instead of who we are. You are a human being, not a human doing. How good of a repenter are you? How quickly do you confess your sins? How sincerely do you do it? How thoroughly do you do it? I submit to you this morning that nothing has a greater bearing in your life than an unconfessed pattern of sin or unconfessed sin. The Bible said it does so easily beset you and causes you to stumble and drag. I want to speak to you this morning, all of us in the suit together, presuming, now if you're here today and you're not a Christian, yours is a sin issue, which has been inherited. You were born a sinner. But I'm speaking to the church primarily today about sins issue. I want to talk to you by the grace of God about a believer and his sins. And would you pray for me as I pray for myself this morning? Lord, this is a familiar place for me as I step away from that desk and I humble myself before you because you know the deal. If it weren't for your mercies, I would be consumed. Consumed. And it's that mercy that greets me every morning. Your mercies are new every morning. And it's in that I stand today. I don't stand with an arrogant look but of one who has been forgiven much. And therefore, I, I want to love much. And I pray that I would articulate this message with a clarity and unction from heaven that like water reaching to the lowest place will reach us in our heart. And may we strive, O oh Lord, not to be excellent and not to be successful, but to be pure before you. Not perfect, pure where we can look anyone in the eye, especially you, and say, as far as I know, there's nothing between God and I today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Y'all forgive me, I've had this, I don't, I don't want to go to the doctor because you know, if you Google it, I'll be dead by Tuesday. I've had it for about six weeks now, and I don't know what it is, but it sounds like I've been smoking Pall Mall Filter King 500s for about six years. Some Viceroy's and Lucky Strikes and all that. So. But I'm okay, I just sound horrible. Uh, anyway, some of y'all don't, you leaned over and said, Danny, what's a Lucky Strike? You don't need to know that. I really want to just talk to you as your pastor today. Not so much teaching, but I want to remind you of some simple things that those of you that have walked with the Lord for a while, we've got up into surrendered lives using our gifts, like our brother and sister going on the mission field. All those things, they're wonderful, they're essential. We talk about the nature of worship and how we should be vocal and affectionate and consistent in our worship, and we should be warriors. But if you're not pure, then 
as a warrior, you're weak. As a servant, it's unacceptable. We are to walk in the light as he is in the light. And if we walk in darkness and say that we know him, we lie. I'm not talking to the world, I'm talking to the church. When I sin does not mean that I don't know him. What it means is if I know him, I cannot stay in sin. My spirit won't let me. His spirit won't let me. I want to talk to you about four quick things this morning. How a believer sins. When a believer sins. After a believer sins. And when a believer's sins are forgiven. Profound preacher you have. Profound statements. Number one. How does a believer sin? And I know this subject well. How many of you... When we played that song, If Not For Grace, Where Would We Be? Does that strum a chord in your life? Mm, I love how sweet the sound. You know what's a great, amazing about grace? What's amazing is who gets it. You know what else is amazing? Who gives it. And how frequently it's given. All right. How a believer sins. You need to know that he does so personally. Knowingly willingly, intentionally, and of his own choice. I hope to shatter a couple of modern-day paganistic lies that uh, work their way through the church. Away with this, I couldn't help it. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Your temptation, your own lust that pulls at you, your fate, common. No, ain't nobody ever felt what I feel. I know I'm married, but this one here knows me. And you don't understand. Common. Common. No, I know other people are addicted, but John, I'm addicted. I can't help. Common. You need to see, if we don't get this right, the trajectory of our theology is so far off. All sin is willful. Can't nobody make you sin? Can't nobody make you curse them? Can't nobody make you hit them? Can't nobody make you choose to defy God and his word? All sin is personal. If it weren't personal, then you couldn't be judged for it. Guys, if y'all could, I think we just got the fan on, but a couple, one lady just fell over. Just a little ice. She's about that big around. She just fell over here. And throw an Afghan on her and we'll be, we'll be good here. Your sin is common. Stop acting like it's stronger than you. When the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Sin shall not have dominion over you. Oh, well, this one's stronger than me. Well, one of you is lying and being that God doesn't lie, I guess that leaves you. Sin will not have dominion over you. Well, it's got dominion over me. No, it doesn't have dominion. You conceded personal when a believer sins he does so in one of three ways in first john love not the world neither the things that are in the world if any man loves the world the love of the father is not in him for all that's in the world say that with me all that's in the world the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and pride of life that's all that's in the world is not of the father but of the world 
And the world passeth away in the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God abideth forever. Those three headings, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Eve in the garden was tempted in those three areas. The lust of the eyes. She saw the apple. It was beautiful, easy to gaze upon. The lust of the flesh. She saw that it was good for food. And it was promised to make one wise. That's the pride of life. Whatever your lust, your temptation is, it either is the lust of the eyes wanting something, the, uh, seeing something, the lust of the flesh craving something, and the pride of life being something. All of your sin can fall into those categories. So it's a lot easier than saying there's so many sins, there's so much to deal with. Three, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. When I first answered, uh, when I surrendered to the call to preach the gospel, I had an old preacher tell me, he said, John, be careful of the three G's. I said, what's that? He said, the girls, the glory, and the gold. So for those preachers, I'll just throw that in as a side note. We can only sin in one of three ways. When a believer sins, he does so brazenly. See, we love to cloak ourselves with this w picture of our weakness. And I didn't want to, really. I didn't want to. It just, it just happened. It happened. It, it just happened. When your kid says that, it makes you so mad. You go, it just don't happen. But then we tell God, it just happened. It's like the lady that was driving around. I said, why has it got to be a lady? Because the guy's telling the story. There was, uh, there was this lady that she was, she was dieting and she was uh, hungry. And y'all know like Burger King got those fans. Y'all don't know how big that fan is that blows that uh, char grilled smell out. It don't taste like the smell, but the smell's real good. And, but bakeries have that too. They have these helicopters. And they just put it all out there. Cinnabon? Oh, you know they got a fan. Anyway, it blows out. And she was on her way to work. And she said, Lord, if it be your will for me to have one of them coffee cakes, let there be a parking place right out front. And she said, as the Lord liveth on the sixth time around, there it was. A parking place just right there. It just happened. I think we excuse sin because we cloak it in an ambiguity of, or a mixed ambiguity of setting, time, place, associations, my status of that day, my biorhythms, instead of saying, I brazenly sinned against the living God. I did it. You've heard me say often, if you look at the life of David and Saul, Saul was a more moral man than David. Now Saul had some key spiritual issues that came up later. But you know what, David just, David knew how to repent good. I've done giving up on living right. But what do you mean? I mean my trust being in how I lived. Because at 61, it's dawned on me that when I want to do good, evil's present with me. And I, I fail as much as I do well. So I, since I cannot, or I have not, through a lack of courage or character or whatever, I will make sure that I repent good, thoroughly, quickly, personally, 
accurately, consistently. When a believer sins, he does so familiarly. Which means, uh, in Proverbs it says, As a dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool returns to his folly. Every time you've backslid, backslid, you go back to the same music. Don't, don't look at me like I said. You go back to the same. So every time you go back to that same drug of choice, that same cold beer, that same mixed drink, that same crutch, and you play that same song you used to play when you were 15 years old as if the thing you begged God to deliver you from was going to help you in this season. Insanity. We, we never seem so foolish as when we hear somebody else telling our excuse. Or our, it's all familiar. How do you know? How do you know that you're turning away from the Lord? Because you go back to your vomit, your, your thing, your lust. We've all done it. The issue is not beating yourself up. The issue is not giving yourself a pass. Because let me tell you something, if you're good at making excuses in your faith, you'll, you'll rarely be good at anything else. Now, I'm not your monitor. Your grandparents, your parents aren't. We're grown. What's not a faith to you is sin. But be careful of familiar sins. So, so if God saved me from it, why do I want to still live in it? Because we're walking in darkness. And nothing, well, I'm, I'm going to say it. You're going to get, if you want to send something, send it to Jason at Christ Chapel, Macon, Georgia, send you a letter. I'm going to say it. Do you know how silly you look on Facebook? 60 years old, 65 years old, wearing your Leonard Skinner t shirt, and you, he's coming to Macon, and I'm on, oh, we're going to party like it's 1999, and you got your little mixed drink with your umbrella in it, and your guy got your cold beer in your hand for your Friday night picture. It's only a couple times a year. John, it's not that big a deal. And you just stood in the baptismal pool a couple months ago, years ago, saying, I'm so grateful that he washed me from my sins. And don't nobody love you enough to tell you the truth. But all you're doing, because your heart's cold, you're trying to find comfort in familiar sins. Standing there in college, you got your little picture. Everybody, everybody's holding a little cup. Everybody's holding a red cup full of beer. And then you're 60 years old, three times the man you used to be, standing there with all these white-haired guys with a beer gut. And thinking you look cool. God, don't help them not to play live music. And then they start dancing. And some little girls smile at him and they think, he thinks, she thinks he's cute. And they're all laughing at you. Anyway, that's just a side note. Just, that was free. That was free. Don't worry about it. When we get to heaven, you may not like no part about me. You said, John told me the truth. If I, if I get that out of you, I'll, I'll be, I'll be happy. John told us the truth. And how a believer sins, listen to this last one. He does so in the sight of God. This will mess you up, what I'm about to tell you. God said, I will never leave you. So while you're doing it, imagine him standing there watching. That'll, that'll wreck a good time. And we'll each give an account 
of our own sins to God. How a believer sins, often, in a variety of ways. The issue is not do we sin, but what do we do about it. Number two, when a believer sins. He does so against the person of Christ. Now, I'm just telling you my own journey, okay? When I'm, when I'm preaching doctrine and theology, I tell you, but in my journey, let me tell you how I've compromised. This may sound horrible to you, but it's, it's my experience. It is easier for me to sin against the written word of God in my mind than the person of Jesus Christ. But it's the same thing. He's the word. He's the word. Incarnate, but he's the word. But when I, when I realize it, when I sin, see, David got this right. He said, against you and you only have I sinned. Man, you murdered this girl's husband. I know, I know I sinned against them. But before I get to Uriah and Bathsheba and my calling and those that have invested in me, I sinned against you, O oh God. You, O oh Lord. And we need to develop that. It's not a legalism. It's an accurate tenderness that that bloody, beaten, disfigured Christ paid for my sins so that I would not walk in them. Now, when we do sin, he does not want us to fall into condemnation. Condemnation makes you want to hide from God. The Holy Spirit uses conviction that makes you want to run to God. If we sin, we can come to him and confess our sins. But know this, that it's against the person of Jesus Christ. No, I'm not, I don't mean it against Jesus. Well, it's against him because you are not your own anymore. Should I teach that again? You're not your own. You were bought with a price. You were not redeemed with the blood of bulls and goats, but of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He purchased you. He bought you, paid for you, and we're not our own. When a believer sins, he does so against the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was there in that moment pushing against those fleshly natures. The Holy Spirit inside of you was trying to move you out of associations, out of mindsets, out of opportunities. And in that very moment, there's that presence that says, don't, don't. Don't. And when we sin, we actually push the Holy Spirit out of the way to do it. We're not just operating in a vacuum. When a believer sins, he does so against the knowledge of the truth. There's a verse that uh, really is it, it's profound in its application. It said, there are those that hold the truth in unrighteousness. They know the truth. They hold it. In unrighteousness. While they're immoral. While they're sexually active outside the confines and covenant of marriage. They, 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 they know the truth. But they hold it in unrighteousness. I don't want to hold it in unrighteousness. I want to hold it in righteousness. And not sin against the knowledge of the truth. Isn't it funny how our convictions change based on... On our lifestyle. May I hit that for just a minute? I'm going to be an equal opportunity offender today. I'm going to make everybody mad. Okay? 
There are people in this room, when, God, when you were your closest, you had strong convictions about certain things. And when you're not your closest, now you allow things that you wouldn't allow then. And you convince yourself, well, it was just a little legalism. I was just overboard. No, you were close. You were close to the light. I've played this game. You don't know what it's like to stand behind that drape scared that God would smite you dead before you preach. You know what kept me during the darkest years of my life? Fear of the Lord. Ain't fooling nobody. Surely ain't fooling him. I know better. I can tell you chapter and verse. We've complicated this. And it's nothing more than sonship and servanthood. If I walk in the light as he is in the light, I have fellowship with him. And if I walk in darkness and say I'm okay, I'm a liar. I'm a liar. And the professing church is full of liars and deceived people because now darkness is called light. Light is called darkness. You know, you can live like hell and go to heaven. And they create their own false Doctrines of demons, if you will. When a believer sins, he does so ignorantly, not appreciating the high price that had been paid for his sins. The deceptive element and destructive power of sin, not realizing the progressive nature of sin, and not realizing the personal price tag of sin. The wages of sin is death, and be sure your sin will find you out. That doesn't mean it becomes public all the time. It means that when you sin, it will find you out in your mind, in your countenance, in your health, in your relationship, in your attitudes, in your words. Sin has a destructive dynamic in the life of the believer. It's oil and water. It cannot mix. And one of the clearest signs of a heart that's out of fellowship with God is no rest. The Bible said there's no rest to the wicked. Not just those outside of the covenant. I'm talking about church people here. We practice sin and God loves you so much he will not let you settle in it. If any of you ever raised kids, you know you can forget taking a nap. You can threaten them. If anybody wakes me up today, I'll kill you. I'll kill you. You want to see granny? I'll kill you. I'll, I'll kill you dead if you wake me up today. And somebody wakes you up like, you know, John, what, 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 what? Because your body's just about to shut off. And then somebody wakes you up. That's how God deals with the Christian that's in sin. As soon as you start to rest in it, he'll, he'll wake you up. I am so grateful that the Lord doesn't ever relent. Don't you ever pray, leave me alone, Lord. Oh, God, don't ever pray that. I'm grateful for every sleepless night. Every conviction, every bad dream, every everything that reminds me, this is between you and I. What are you going to do about it? Now, this is a heavy sermon today, but when we get to the end, you realize it's to get you to a point of absolute freedom. No fear, perfect peace, ready to die. You ain't ready to live till you're ready to die. When a believer sins... He soon runs into the chastisement of God. Listen to this. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when you're rebuked of him. 
for whom the Lord loveth, he chastens and scourgeth every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. But if you're without chastisement, whereof all of us are partakers, then you're bastards and not sons. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands that are hanging down in the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. I thank God that I'm part of a church, you're part of a church, we're part of a church. That it ain't safe to come in here living like you want. That I can get a chastening word from Jason or Charles or others that minister here. That I can get a chastening word. Not only does God chasten me by his spirit, but through the preached word. I don't need to be entertained. I don't need a, a sermon series on something silly or stupid or frivolous. I need to hear, thus saith the Lord, like Charles was saying, for my life. And then the next Sunday, I need to be encouraged in the Lord. And the next Sunday, I want to be challenged in the Lord. But I want him to speak to me. And I can't hear him if I'm not walking with him. Chastening. I hear on TV these Christian preachers. Well, they call themselves Christians. Oh, God had never used that. That sounds like the devil to me. God will use everything to whip you. See, this generation don't understand whipping. See him at Kroger talking back to his mama. The little girl said, you said, I, went, I just flashed back. I'd have woke up three or four hours in the tissue. My mama knew Kung Fu back then, man. Mama had a move. She'd take daddy's belt, unhook it with her and the free hand. <laughs> just your butt fall off right there on the, just at Kroger. Pick up your butt and run. Go, John, go. Now, you know when I get you laughing, I'm coming for something, right? The Bible says God scourgeth those that are his. What does it mean? He said, I'll take a belt in your life, and I'll hit you so hard, you'll wake up and your britches will be out of style. I will wreck you. I will wreck you. See, we like to read it. Oh, the chastening of the Lord. What do you think that means? I will put you in sickness. Oh, God would not use that. I've heard that preached so often. Christ himself said, and that's why some of you are sick and others have died. Because you take communion and you're living in sin. He will chasten you. He will make your boss who's evil to start with more evil. Your stupid dog will stop coming to you. And then the cat will start coming to you. He'll use anything he can do to wake you up. And if you will not move to, from scourging, all that's left is judgment. Listen to this, Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. We've all hit periods where I'm just going to go back. I'm going to go back to what I was doing. I can't live this. It's too hard. The path is too narrow. The weight is too hard. No one understands. I'm going back. If it weren't for the fear of the Lord. I actually had someone tell me uh, years ago during, again, that horrible season in my life. 
They said, Pastor John, I, I really admire how you didn't hold unforgiveness. I said, stop. You know, John against that guy. Stop, stop. I, I, I didn't forgive that person because I'm sweet or kind or thoughtful or had good manners. I feared the Lord. So watch. So I'm under the umbrella of grace. And he's forgiven me of all my sins. But I'm going to come out from under that under umbrella and grab this guy by the throat and make him pay for his sins. Only problem with that is now I don't have an umbrella. I don't have a covering. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I don't mean a, this kind of fear, like an abusive dad or an abusive husband, but one that won't take no foolishness. He don't just zap me as soon as I fail. He's patient. He watches. But don't think he won't. How honest can I be with you? Okay. okay. Read your Bible and see the times where the Lord allowed a man's children to be punished for his sin. What would I do with myself if my Isabel or my Olivia or my Elisha paid for my sins? Well, that sounds like the devil. No, it sounds like a righteous God that says, John, I've given you my spirit. You don't have to live like that. Just repent. Just repent. And I know of people who have buried their children and hold their sin as if it were God himself because they're proud and they're arrogant and they will not bend their knee. The same thing we accuse the world of. How can you hear the gospel and not respond? How can you feel the wooing of the Holy Spirit and you not respond? That thing between where Charles said today, we need to encounter you. Well, this way, this is the gateway all freedom when you live like this watch you don't have to live like this once I do that and I'm forgiven and he stands me on my feet he said now go live live with peace live with hope live with joy enjoy everything because there's nothing between you and I I don't want the judgment of God I fear him I fear him is he mean? No, but he's thorough. He's thorough. Number three, after a believer sins, he is accountable for him. We shall give an account for the deeds done in our body, whether they be good or evil. Knowing that, we should immediately and sincerely confess these sins to God. I have, in public, dropped to my knees. Why? Because I felt his spirit so strong and I knew he was watching. I'm accountable. I didn't want to go another day. Now, this may sound dramatic to you. The day I gave my life back to the Lord in July 6, 86, uh, was 13 years after I walked away from the Lord as a little boy. I believe I was at the end of the temporal mercy that was available to me. That if I didn't respond, I could have died in my sins. Can I tell you how gracious God was to this wretched young fool? Knowing at nine years old how to lead somebody else to the Lord. 
Romans 3.10, Romans 3.23, Romans 5.8, Romans 6.23, Romans 10.9. I was evangelizing in the first grade. I knew all these things. And in my sexual immorality and drunkenness and revelry at school and, you know, all of that, I woke up one morning next to my motorcycle. Uh, I was at the new apartments that were there, and I knew in 80, 85, 86, so that would make them cobweb-covered and mildewed today. But I woke up beside my motorcycle, and I'd been walking with the Lord for about a year, and he brought that memory back. He said, remember that? Yes, yes, Lord. Now, it wasn't audible, but I just, yeah, Lord, I remember that. He said, my angels were there protecting you, so you didn't die in your sins. I woke up at like 10 in the, in the morning, and people are on their way to class walking all around me. And I woke up. Some of y'all have a history like this. You go, okay, first of all, what state am I in? Not condition, state. And I, I try, where, okay, here's a motorcycle, here's my helmet. And he just curled me up. Because he loves me so much, he didn't want me to die in my sins. So one that would be that drastic to save me from them... Do you think he won't be drastic to keep me from them now? And they shall call his name Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. From them. We should immediately and sincerely, after a believer sins, we should immediately and sincerely confess our sins to God. Accurately. Hey, guys, don't say I looked at something on the Internet I shouldn't have. Say I committed adultery against my wife with my eyes. See the difference? Don't say, well, I've just got something in my heart against them. Say, according to God's word, that unforgiveness makes me a murderer. That's legalism. No, that's sobering. That word of God is a sword that cuts through the joints and marrow, exposing the thoughts and intents of my heart. Say when you're proud, instead of saying, well, I, I struggle with pride, say, my attitude is as the sin of witchcraft. I know, I know this is heavy, but see, if you live like nobody else, then you can later live like nobody else. You see? After believers' sins, you ought to grieve over them. Now, some of us have sinned so often that we don't grieve anymore then you should grieve over the fact you can't grieve. I've done that as a pastor. I said, I'm not even grieving over the sin I'm confessing. So I'm confessing my inability to grieve. Be merciful to me, O Lord, and cry out till you, till you get that tender heart again, till, till you're not able to just do what everybody does and sing what they sing and say what they say and go where they go and do what they do. A circumcised heart. I've shared this with you before and I'm not trying to be crass at all. But when a little boy is circumcised, his little private, is the skin is pulled back and they cut it in such a way that it's... And when they pull it back, it makes it the most tender spot on his body. And if you've ever had a little boy, you know you go to change him. That wind hits that joker. He's peeing on everything. It's up over your, over your head. It's, you better put a towel. As soon as the wind hits that little boy. So why would God use circumcise your hearts? You do it. 
He said, because I want you to know when the wind of my presence touches you, you feel that conviction. I want you to be aware of it. And instead of having a circumcised heart, we have a hard heart. And we're hanging around other hard-hearted people trying to determine how we should live. In the land of the blind, a one-eyed man is king. I forgot who said that, but it's very good. After a believer sins, we should make amends personally where we can. Some people don't want you to make amends. But if you stole from somebody, they'll give it back. I remember when the Lord reminded me of the money I stole from the restaurant I used to work at. And he said, go tell that man you stole from him. Tell him how you did it, which was very creatively. And he said, tell him what you did and apologize for it and write him a check. So I'm like, that's going to be real embarrassing, you know. So I went and told him what I did. He just kind of laughed. He said, how long did you do that? I said, about a year. And I figured it was about this much. And he goes, oh, don't worry about it. I said, oh, no, sir. Oh, man, I'm worried about it. <laughs> See, this didn't have nothing to do with that man. Is this what you want me to do? Mm-hmm. Write him a check. See, my sin was forgiven, but I needed to participate in my uh, grace. I needed to make amends where I could. When you walk back into where you used to work and you apologize and you make amends, and they go, what happened to you? Oh, he done found Jesus. No, Jesus found me. But yeah, there, there's a change. A change, a change has come over me. He changed my life. And now I'm free, free to repent publicly, privately, and ask the Lord. He'll give you wisdom. And if someone don't want you to make amends, you bow your head and say, I understand. No problem. But you're willing to do those things. And finally, if our musician would come, please. On finally, on number three, you should distance yourself from the confessed sin and all that's connected to it. After a believer sins, you should distance yourself from that which you've confessed of and all that's connected to it. Y'all make fun of me. I know you do. I've heard the little stories. And I'm going to write me a little book of Johnisms and all these things. Like, and my one about, there's a 0% chance of me getting shot in Atlanta today. You want to know why? See, see how easy it is? I ain't going to be in Atlanta. And the reason some of us keep falling into that same besetting sin is we live that close to it. Turn it off. Unplug. Separate from. Stop hanging out with. Make the necessary adjustments to keep you from sin. I remember a lady that I knew uh, used to hang out with a group of ladies and it became a bash your husband night. And they were good friends. All of them had a good time, you know. Girls night out. Hey, they had a good night. But there was one lady there that just trashed her husband all the time. Just just all the time. And she told him, she said, uh, I, I can't I can't go on group with y'all no more. So what? So every every Friday I spend with y'all, I hate my husband on Saturday. I can't I, I can't hang out with y'all anymore. Joseph, you got if you turn it up for me. You have to make those separations. I've had to tell friends of mine, I said, look, uh, you know I love you. I love you. 
but I can't hang out me and you no more. And I'm not judging you. I'm judging me. There's something about our dynamic. And you can put it on me if you want to. But it causes me to stumble. And I ask you to forgive me. I'm sorry. But for right now, what would our life look like if we separated ourselves from the avenues that lead to our destruction and our sin? Now, after a believer sins and he confesses, a believer's sins are forgiven. When a believer's sins are forgiven, he should again side with God's view of them. What do you mean? Okay. What did he say about this? Your sins have separated you from me. The sins are as scarlet. I cannot even look at evil. But the forgiven person, see, I've got to agree with God in everything, right? If he says, my sins separate me from him, and over here he says, as far as the east is from the west, I've removed your transgressions from you. I have to side with him in the grace dynamic. I can't live like I was a sinner. I've got to live forgiven. I have to agree with God. John, I've removed these from you. As far as the east is from the west. There is therefore there no condemnation. How much? None. See, I preach hard to myself so I can live. The things you do just yesterday that's forgiven, God has forgot them. He remembers them no more. Blessed be his great name. When a believer's sins are forgiven, he should be free of guilt and condemnation and bondage, associations. And look, stop looking at your feet. Lift your head. Your sins are forgiven. That brutal death he paid. You ain't got to add to it with your sour look. I owe him, but my sins are gone, washed, forgiven. When sins are forgiven, we should rejoice. We should abound with gratitude, thankfulness, and praise. We should be diligent in rebuilding our altars, our consecration, our godly relationships, our disciplines, and our fellowship one with another. And when our sins are forgiven, we should immediately, once receiving that grace, ask the Lord to fill us with His Holy Spirit. Because if we walk in the Spirit, we will not what? Fulfill the lust of the flesh. The greatest need in your life as a Christian, after finding grace for your sins, is to be filled with the Spirit and walk in the fullness thereof. No hype. No fanfare. That's the word of God. You each have communion. If you did not receive one uh, there at the entrance. Ushers, would you just bring. If you did not have the elements, would you just hold your hand up? You got to hold it up till we can get to you. I think everybody might be served. I've asked them to cue a song. Listen. Hey, guys, look this way. This is public. There's private, but this is public. No one's going to be praying for you today. It's yourself. If there's something you need to work out with God, I want you to listen to the words of this song. I want to be clean. You know, sometimes I just, sometimes my prayer is gushing, and other times it's just tears, and other times I'm just so sorry, God. I just, I'm so sorry. Scrub me, cleanse me, help me, heal me. But we put our eyes on Him. The goal of today, what if everyone left today saying, 
There's nothing between God and I. Now, if you're holding on to sin, don't take of communion in a few minutes. We'll take together after this song. But if you'd cue that song for me, please. At your feet, Lord, I bow. Search me, O God, and know me now. Take this sin from my heart. I want to be just as you are.
Some of you that are new to our church, maybe you're part of a church that never did a lot of things publicly. And there's a balance. I, I don't think I'm supposed to spread my sin like mayonnaise on a sandwich to everybody. But there's something beautiful about the body of believers that sees others. I see you rejoice. I see you give. I see you serve. I see you pray. But we don't see each other repent. If you had something specific today. Between you and God. your past, I, This week. This week. And I wept before my Lord. And cleansed it out of my heart. If you repented this morning. Of something specifically. And you have called it as it is. You have received grace and you are walking away from it in obedience. I want you to just come stand around this front. I want us just to see where we are. We've already repented. I repented this morning. I, I, I repented. Me. Now, may not be everybody. Some Sundays, man, I, I listen. I said, man, I'm good. I, me and God are good. Other Sundays, I'm like, no, I, today. I'm in good company. I recognize a lot of y'all. See, we ought not be. This is a beautiful thing where we love each other. We do all life together. And Katrina, we repent together. Ain't no, ain't no big. We all, if it weren't for grace, where would we be? Where in the world would we be? Now, I just want to tell you before we take communion. I want to look in the eye. Did you repent? Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Did you repent? Your sins are forgiven. That broken body on that cross paid for my sins. And he continued. My sins behind me. My sins today and my sins to come. That's where worship flows from. I told him for years. I said uh, other things I'm not going to mention. But I said... Please find somebody that can sing at my funeral. Don't get nobody up there that can't sing. But sing grace that is greater than all of my sins. Because your pastor is a forgiven sinner. <laughs> but if I know my heart today, best as I can discern, ain't nothing between me and Jesus. And I believe that for you today. In the same night Jesus was betrayed. See how much more precious this is when ain't nothing between. He said, this is my body. It's broken for you. I'm going to take your place. I'm going to become poor so you can become rich. I'm going to become naked so you can become clothed. I'm going to be rejected by God so you can be accepted. That's what he did for us. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of his peace was, my peace was upon him. And by his stripes he healed my soul. Let's take together.
Can I tell you this right before we go home and take this together? And I, I know the songs, and the blood apply. I, I understand nothing but the blood of Jesus, and I sing them. But in its truest theology, this blood wasn't for you. It's for God. He said, I can't look at you, John. I can't look at you. Imagine when Jesus took his blood into the heavenly tabernacle and put it between the mercy seat. There's now a covering where God sees through that blood and sees me forgiven. I, I now am the righteousness of God through Christ. So the blood was for God. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. But if the blood of bulls and goats postponed it a year, this wipes it out forever. And that's what we remember. So what's our faith in? Good works? No. Effort? No. Religion? No. What? The shed blood of Jesus Christ. And the same night Jesus was betrayed, he took wine, he poured it, and gave it to his disciples. He said, as often as you do this, remember me. And he also said, hey, I'm not going to drink this again until I get to drink it with you in the age to come. Thank you, Lord, for grace that's greater than all of our sins. Thank you for washing us today, for the power of your word, for the glory of your name, I pray. Let's take together. Pastor Jason, would you come and dismiss us this morning? Are you glad for his grace and his forgiveness this morning? Father God, we thank you that you're a God of mercy, a God of patience, and a God that's faithful to correct us, to bring us home. That you're generous in mercy, but that you are also faithful to bring us back to you through correction, God. I pray that as we go forward this week, we meditate on this, God, that we leave and we know that we are changed, that we remember what you've done for us in our lives. Father, we just honor you and glorify your name today. As we leave today, Father God, I pray that you're pleased with this service that you're pleased with our hearts before you, and that you continue to do your work in your church. We love you and honor you. Amen. Y'all have a blessed Lord's Day.